Welcome to Fork Podcast. I'm Sean Chris Lewis, your host, and yep, we're still in these COVID editions. I put these together to help myself and any of the listeners who want to better identify what we can do with these unique times that we're given right now. It's not an invitation to get stressed about performance and creating anxiety on some sort of fear of missing out on some opportunity that lies waiting in the fork of this road of the global upheaval we're all experiencing right now. I mostly want to provide a moment for us all to regain a better sense of ourselves during this time when change is pervasive. We sort of feel that vibration, right? The world wants to become something different and we can't help but feel that we want to become something different too during this unique moment. Instead of being confused like where to start, which is often a problem, right? When we get our mind in this place where we, we want to change, but we don't know how, and then we just take on too much, or the, the idea of, of becoming something different just looks so big, and then our daily habits just get in the way and stop. So I always say, like, just start with ourselves. Start with ourselves. That's in the principles, the, the foundational stuff of life, like self-care, you know, just getting out and getting a little bit more exercise and maybe upping our healthy food game, right? Healthy food. That's a good one. And it's a tough one, especially all the snack eating, right, going on now? Yeah, you know it's you. <laughs> Snacking. That's, that's become the name of the game these days. So speaking of food, this week on Fork Podcast, we have Eric Chevrier. He's an accomplished professor, researcher, and social activist. He's a PhD candidate. He specializes in subjects such as food and culture, political economy of inequality, community and local activism, food sustainability. It's a big one, just to name a few. So... Sit back, relax, and let's hear from Eric Chevrolet. Eric, I was so excited for this since we spoke last week, and I just know that you're going to share a ton of great information for us all. I really got off that call, and I was motivated. I felt inspired in, a, in an industry that generally we're just feeling kind of discouraged, right, from time to time, but you have the way, a means to inspire, Eric. <laughs> hopefully, yes. Uh, hopefully that's uh, what the goal is today, to inspire people to take action, yeah. actually take control of the food system in the way that they can. I think people need to reconnect with their foods. Um, a lot of the foods that we're actually purchasing in the grocery store are uh, processed foods, uh, things that have been manipulated by industry, a lot of times contain preservatives and other chemicals in there. Um, so, you know, it, it gives people uh, better health to actually produce things naturally and to actually use natural ingredients in their own food, especially if they could produce it themselves. But I think also it gives people a sense of happiness also to work in the garden, to create their own food, and that's quite empowering for people. And I think that's good for people's mental health as well, especially you're outside and, you know, hopefully it's sunny outside at the same time and all of these things could be quite empowering. Uh, the other thing, too, I think, is that people are actually doing collective gardens. It gives people a sense of community. It gets people to actually interact together. So these are things above and beyond just food production that I think are good for people's general sense of health also. Getting involved with growing your own vegetables goes beyond just this idea of why don't you just go buy in the grocery store? You're talking about a whole social element to, to food. For sure, yeah. So food is a very social thing. 
Uh, people come together around food, people meet around food. Uh, so, you know, food is, is a good way to share community. It's a good way for people to actually connect with each other. Uh, so I think it just goes, it goes beyond just eating for the sake of eating, but actually has more meaning to it also. A lot of time it's how we define ourselves culturally. Uh, you know, it's how we interact with each other. Uh, actually, when we're young, the first sense of control that we really have is what we're going to put into our bodies. So, uh, you know, infants will sometimes refuse certain foods, even really before they have a sense of understanding what these foods are. So foods are very important for people as a sense of identity formation, but also to generate community involvement and, you know, to understand each other on a bigger process. Food is very, very well connected to our understanding of, you know, how we all understand each other. When you talk about people reconnecting with their food on a local level, I, it sounds incredible, but it just seems so impossible. We're of this mindset today that we need big farms and big companies with huge distribution chains to feed the planet. How do we get back in touch at a local level? The majority of the world is actually fed by small farms. Uh, in Canada, uh, there's actually an insurgence of smaller organic farms that are actually producing quite a bit of food and are now actually becoming more economically sustainable uh, in the way that actually, if you, if you look at Canada on the aggregate, it's very hard to make money as a farmer. Uh, farmers actually, traditionally, if you're in uh, more of the industrial agriculture, uh, they take out major loans and basically sign contracts with agrochemical and seed companies like Bayer and uh, you know, Dow Chemical and all of these companies, uh, which actually charge a lot of money for this. And because of the machinery and all of the things that are being implemented, uh, on the aggregate, farms are not doing very well as a business. Mm -hmm. uh, and actually what we're seeing is the Canadian government is giving a lot of money to farms to basically sustain our industry. So it's already being subsidized you know, in a large context by the Canadian government. Uh, another thing also, when we're looking at the sustainability of our economic system when it comes to farming, is we actually import a lot of migrant laborers over the summer to actually then go and produce our food. Uh, and you know, in a large context, this is because they're actually highly efficient but at the same time is that, you know, we don't necessarily pay people as well when we're bringing in migrant laborers and they don't have the same rights as a lot of the employees here in Quebec or in Canada. Uh, so on the aggregate, I would say actually farming is not a very lucrative business and it's not necessarily sustainable economically. Mm -hmm. So I think the myth that people have is that we need this large agricultural industry to kind of produce all of the food for the world is not necessarily based in realities. Uh, the other thing, too, is, you know, relying on uh, seeds all the time. We basically, the farmers will have to go and sign these contracts with Bayer, Monsanto, and basically have to keep purchasing from them. What this does is actually limits biodiversity because the seeds are being genetically modified to basically be very similar as seeds. And we're planting these big monoculture farms, which actually limits biodiversity and produces a lot of problems when it comes to, you know, sustaining our biosphere. So it is quite a myth that we can't feed the world through small farms, through more localized production. Uh, the, the Food and Agriculture Association uh, claims that basically we could feed the world over about 1.5 times of the amount of food that we have on it currently. Mm -hmm. So it's not a problem of, of production, it's a problem of distribution. But just uh, rewind a second, Eric, if I'm just somebody sitting at home and I say, well, you know, why do I need biodiversity? I just want to get my bread and I want to get you know, my cereal. Why do I need biodiversity? For sure. And uh, this is a, a, a problem when we're actually talking about the biosphere. The biosphere needs biodiversity to sustain itself. Uh, you know, we have the same plant 
you know, planted in all of these different farms. Well, we have pests that adapt to pesticides and then could decimate an entire farm. So what we need is actually we need different ways to plant things and different ways to manage farms. So it's not just one crop everywhere. The other mm -hmm. thing that happens is actually if you have one monoculture farm, uh, the nutrients in the soil become depleted from this plant. It actually needs the same nutrients and basically is going to take all of the nutrients from wherever we're farming. What we need to do is crop rotations. We could actually use even animals to, you know, graze and to poop on certain locations and then kind of rotate them around uh, in, uh, in a fashion that basically will help the land develop and basically keep the soil arable. So that's, that's doable, Eric? Grazing, doable. grazing cattle, you know, on the land, like the old days, this, this, is a, this is a viable way to feed the world. For sure it is, yes. And actually this practice is used in different places in the world. Um, it's actually something called agroecology. Basically using the land and its capabilities, you know, to enhance your production and not necessarily using these chemical fertilizers mm -hmm. in the soil. Sounds amazing. To me, that sounds awesome. I love it. And I'm also willing to lay down a little extra money at the grocery store to pay for that scenario. Mm -hmm. But does that cost a lot more? It really depends, I guess. Look, so there are ways of producing things organically that actually cost less. Because if you're not putting in these chemical fertilizers and have contracts with seed companies, you could actually produce food for cheaper costs. Is this the next speeding train that we were warned about an epidemic that could come and affect the globe? Scientists were warning, we weren't listening, the epidemic comes, here we are, wow, they were right. Is food the next speeding train that's gonna hit us? Well, in some extent, yeah. And if you, you look at the pandemic right now and what's been actually explained as the cause of the pandemic, the way that we're doing factory farming, people have been saying for quite a long time that you know there are uh, viruses that could actually be transmitted between people and animals in factory farming environments. They concentrate a lot of animals into a location and, you know, expect that everything's going to go well. We're, we're noticing that it's not. Uh, right now we have, uh, you know, companies like Cargill that are actually uh, taking large parts of the Amazon for farming. They're basically mm -hmm. cutting down the trees and logging the trees. And then from there, basically Cargill especially is planting soybeans in the Amazon. Farmers are cutting down the trees and then basically uh, basically burning the crops there so that we have carbons, uh, which is causing massive fires and other things as well, but then actually removing arable you know, soil that could be producing our carbon sinks. Uh, other things, and people don't think about this, but actually we are very limited when it comes to the arability of the soil. There are droughts happening in California and other places where actually we had really good growing potential. And people don't necessarily think about that because soil, a lot of people just think it's just dirt in the ground. But we need the microorganisms, we need you know, various things to make the plants grow. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's a lot of problems with our current food system. And I think, yes, it will be a problem. You know, the International Pan uh, Panel on Climate Change has identified meat as being a main culprit in climate change. I know this is quite a touchy subject for people mm -hmm. because people love their meat. Uh, but, you know, we need to rethink these practices. And I'm not telling people just to give it up altogether although I don't eat meat myself, uh, I think people should actually reduce it as much as possible when possible. I'm actually a vegetarian myself. My main rationale for it is I just think if there's one decision I can make that has the best impact on the environment, I thought that the reduction or elimination of meat was probably the best thing I could do.
the reason why I became vegetarian is more for these political reasons, uh, because you know, we, it is a large impact on the biosphere to be consuming meat, uh, especially at the rates that people do in, in North America. A lot of people don't understand this, but uh, you know, to, to, to grow or to have cattle, you actually need to feed them. And a lot of the feeding comes from grains and other things that basically feed people. Mm-hmm. So what we're doing is we're feeding the animals feed that could be actually feeding people and then actually using a lot of water in the process also, producing methane gas and basically concentrating you know, areas where they're pooping. And this stuff is really harmful for the environment. So, okay. Now, how I always like <laughs> to wind things down on Fork Podcast is I'm an individual. What can I do? Like, Eric, tell me. <laughs> what can I do to start having a great impact on my, my environment, the world around me, my own health, my own well-being? What can I do? Yeah, wonderful. And, and this is a really good topic also because, uh, you know, the problems seem really big and sometimes it seems that it's hard to get involved to actually make change, but individuals can make change. <laughs> So uh, there's a couple approaches. Now, uh, as an individual, I would say that people should actually reconnect with their food and try to reproduce their own livelihoods. So what does that mean? It means grow as much food as you can with the, you know, the time and the space that you have available to you. Uh, if you don't have a backyard, there's ways to do this collectively. So you could actually do this within your community. It gets you involved into you know, the lives of other people, gets you connected with other people that are growing. I would say the other thing too is to actually reconnect with food in other ways. So start to cook things. A lot of people don't know how to make bread and bread is quite a staple for you know, people's eating. So make bread, make uh, whatever you can. Try to actually produce as much food as possible uh, and transform it as best as possible also. And the other thing that people kind of tend to forget is uh, there's a third cycle in there also is actually there's a lot of what we call waste of food also. Uh, So, you know, scraps or other things that basically people usually just throw in the garbage. This stuff is actually, you know, very, very valuable in the way that it actually turns into compost and goes to feed gardens and actually goes to reproduce other forms of food. So we need to then not necessarily waste things, but we need to manage our waste by composting and actually providing back to the land the things that are actually valuable for it. So these are ways that people could start. Uh, but there's many other different approaches also. What I would say also, if, if, you, know, if you say that's not for me, I, I don't have the time or I don't really like to produce food, there are you know, other ways of connecting with farmers on a better fashion also. So don't just go to the local grocery stores and buy things that are imported, but actually make connections with local farmers. There's something called Community Sponsored Agriculture, or CSA. So basically, instead of going to a distributor, you go right to the farmer themselves, And in Montreal, especially, or across Quebec, there's different drop-off points where farmers will go and drop off food baskets for you. So in community-sponsored agriculture, what people are doing is they're paying basically a share to a farmer, whatever the share is, and it guarantees that the farmer will have a livelihood or or will be viable over that time because they know that they have this many clients that are getting their food. And then basically we'll have drop-off points where you're buying directly from the farmer. And I think this is really important because, like I was saying, On the aggregate, it's very difficult for farmers to actually make their livelihoods. But this is a way to actually help farmers that are local, and especially ones that you care about, to actually continue to perpetuate what they're doing when it comes to growing better food. What we're going through right now, we're suddenly um, 
praising the store clerks, you know, the supermarkets who are staying open during COVID so we can go and shop and we're praising the nurses and the, you know, the, those frontline people and farmers, I would say, man, they are like right up there. They feed us and to, the, for them to be underpaid, I heard that the rate of suicide amongst, I don't want to go down a depressing uh, path on this, but the rate of suicide is high. And these are the people who are feeding us. And they generally go into farming for their love of keeping the family farm alive, right? And going. For sure, yeah. So, you know, these are very important workers. And, uh, you know, what we've noticed, I guess, during COVID is there's been a breakdown of supply chains. So what we need to do is relocalize things also. Uh, you know, we need communities in our environments, I would say even in urban environments, to actually start producing more food. Uh, myself have actually been engaging, I live in Lachine in uh, Montreal, and I've actually been going to these collective gardens and helping out as much as I can. Right now in times of crisis, food banks are very important because, you know, people that have lost their jobs or are not getting these benefits do need food immediately. So we need to actually start producing more within these local environments. But then also we need to connect with people that are just outside of our local environments also. So we really need to rethink food. And, uh, you know, I think we've been used to the way food has been kind of delivered to us. But I think it, we need to think of larger transformations when it comes to our understanding and our involvement with food in the larger scale. I personally find that without trying to be esoteric about it, I find that when I'm growing food and I'm working in my garden, it just changes my vibration, man. I feel very like in almost like that term flow state, you know, I just feel like everything moves naturally. Does that sound strange? Does, is that something you experience? Yeah, it doesn't sound strange at all to me. Uh, and actually uh, the way that I got into this was uh, I had access to a backyard once about 10 years ago and I, I just figured, hey, let's grow a tomato plant. Let's see what happens. And I started with one tomato plant and it worked out and actually got some tomatoes off of it. The second year, I had about 10 tomato plants, a couple pepper plants, and then it became extremely addictive. <laughs> I basically <laughs> upscaled every single year and to the extent now that I'm actually trying to reproduce as much as I can. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I, you know, for myself, it gave me a sense of pleasure. It uh, got me connected with things that, you know, I used to think was quite laborsome. But now I would rather be out in the garden being, you know, just working and working in the soil and actually makes me feel good. So I, I totally understand what you're talking about. And I think a lot of people would actually feel the same thing by getting involved and doing as much as they can when it comes to gardening and producing their own food. And, uh, you know, to be quite fair about this is that I'm in quite a place of privilege where I do have the time and could spend the energy on doing this. Uh, some other people won't be able to do that. And some of these people actually are the most affected by food insecurity. So if you're a single mom with a bunch of kids, it would be very difficult to maybe engage with food as much as I'm describing here. Mm -hmm. We have to be aware of that, I think, in the bigger picture. Um, but, you know, there are other ways, too, of getting involved with food. So if you do have access to a space, but you're, you don't really want to garden, there are other people in your community that do. And actually, I've seen people uh, that actually will do basically kind of sharing of the space where someone will come and garden on someone else's backyard and they basically share the fruits of their harvest. Uh, this is actually a movement that was taking place in Montreal, especially in NDG area, um, by a group called Cicle Alimentaire that were basically going and transforming people's backyards with their permission and then kind of just sharing the fruits of labor. So these things are still possible. There are a lot of people that actually like gardening but don't have access to space. 
And there's a lot of people with space that don't really have the context of really wanting to get involved with food. Wow, you're really trying to get people out of their, their personal space bubble, right? To think, imagine somebody going in my backyard, <laughs> you know? I'm not opposed to what you're talking about. It sounds very interesting, but we have this space bubble, you know? Like, really? I'm not. I don't find that attractive to let somebody come in my backyard, even if I have all this green space that can be put to better use. But yes, you know, it gets people out of their comfort zone uh, because some people are not used to sharing things. But, you know, sharing time, sharing space, sharing fruits, sharing whatever you have. Sharing is caring. Exactly, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, you know, we have to think of our food system not necessarily an individual approach, but more of a collaborative approach. But, you know, within that too is that there are individuals that make collaboration. So individuals could get involved, but we have to think about this in more of a sharing fashion as well. So are you optimistic about things, Eric, the future of our ecology, of our, our, our green space, our beautiful planet? Are you an optimist? Well, I would say I'm an optimist and as well I'm a pessimist because I notice things going in two different ways. So, you know, we can complain about the industrial food system, which I've kind of laid out uh, somewhat of a critique here. Um, but I also noticed that things are getting better on another side too. So there are people going more towards community production. It seems, especially with, you know, the COVID coming out now is that uh, people are getting more involved with gardening and trying to produce things. So hopefully it's kind of catalyzed people to understand that, yes, we do need to rethink our food systems. And there are people that are doing really well when it comes to that. You know, we do have groups or companies like Lufa Farm that are producing locally. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of this company, yes, but they basically produce food on a rooftop and, you know, they've localized a lot of our food system. Um, and there, there's other groups, farms, and other individuals also that are doing similar endeavors. So I'm actually quite optimistic is that, yes, there are really good things taking place. Uh, I would like them to become more commonplace and I would like people to embrace these things a lot more than basically just going to the grocery store and just buying whatever it is. But, you know, I, I do understand also is that uh, a lot of people don't necessarily want to think about this or worry about food or it's just part of their routine. Uh, and what I'm encouraging people to do is make that routine and to start thinking more about food and start thinking more about what they're putting in their bodies and the social and political and even environmental implications of what they're, what they're eating. So it's really about getting people excited about their well-being right their physical well-being their mental well-being you're consciously making better decisions to have better outcomes for your life for sure yeah exactly so you know we might feel good because of that our health might improve we might feel better connected to the social and political systems uh you know we're going to break this down here whatever we do in the world produces some form of value especially in our labor and our consumption and basically partakes into a larger system. A lot of times things that we don't necessarily think about because it's quite complex, but also because, you know, we don't want to worry about all of the bigger systems in play. Uh, but we have to realize that these things actually produce things that come into the world and actually have consequences. And what I'm encouraging people to do is actually to understand these consequences and to try to actually evoke things that have more of a positive consequence on the world when it comes to their personal health, their well-being, you know, the way that they feel, their mental health, but also in the larger systems to actually protect the biosphere and to protect social systems. And not only just thinking about food as a transaction, but things that actually bring about social relations in the world also. That was incredible. Just our actions having consequences. I know it sounds so 
straightforward to say it, but it is really life, right? Everything we do, life is made up of all the small actions that we do in a day. For sure, yeah. And a lot of time there's so many actions that we feel like we're on autopilot. So, you know, we need to take a step back sometimes and put pause on it and then start to reflect on these things. And, you know, sometimes we only have a very limited uh, ability to actually influence the larger system. But collectively, we don't actually. Collectively is where we make these changes. It takes individuals to come together, realize these consequences, and then do something about it. And this is not out of the ordinary. You know, we could actually produce more food communally or even individually. These things are within our realm. Anybody that's watching this should actually go get a seed of some sort. You know, even taking it from a pepper or, you know, green pepper, red pepper that they have in the house. Take one seed from that pepper, put it in earth, and just see what happens. And I think when people actually bring these life or plants or whatever, any kind of life form into existence, they're going to start to have a different connection with their food. And this is what I want to inspire people to do is actually take action, start producing food individually, collectively, and then start to think about these larger systems and how our food and our involvement with food impacts ourselves and these larger systems as well. Well, that is awesome, Eric. One plant and change your life. That's Start with one plant. <laughs> and change sure. your life. And change your life, yes. <laughs> All right, Eric. Well, thank you so much. I'm actually thank looking you. forward to a part two on this. We have a lot to cover. And uh, I just really want to thank you so much. As I said at the beginning of this, I looked so forward to this one conversation with you on that phone and i was fired up all i see is great things coming when we have people like you championing these these conversations and uh, i want to thank you for everything you do and thank you for sharing all this with us here on fork podcast eric well thank you very much too it was a pleasure to be here and uh, thank you for all the wonderful work you're doing too and we're going to put people in touch with you through Facebook if they want to reach out and follow you and see, uh, get some great tips, outdoor farming tips, urban farming. Sure, yeah. So people could add me on Facebook. Um, I also have a website, so ericchevrier.ca. I will put that in the show notes. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you, Eric. Great. You have an awesome day. Yeah, thanks a lot. You too. Thanks, my man. All right, take care. Bye.